This week on The Breakup Breakdown. When I first wrote Eat, Pray, FML, I was like, I'm not even going to go into the details. I'm just going to be like, look, I got cheated on. I got divorced. There was a lot that was left out. My girlfriend was like, that was like an episode of CSI. This is one of those breakup stories that is so crazy. You just can't believe that it actually happened to real people. In fact, it was such an intense breakup story. It actually inspired her to write an entire book on her experience. So if that doesn't get you geared up for the episode, I don't know what will. Hey, it's Abby. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Breakup Breakdown. Can you believe we're about to close out season one? I can't believe that this podcast has happened and it's been so, so fun to put together and to share these stories and to meet so many people and interact with listeners like you. Hey, if you like this podcast, it always means so much to me when you rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, since we're gearing up for season two, I would love it if you would submit any breakup stories you want me to look into. There's a couple from like high school or college or wherever that you're like, why did they break up? I've linked the submission form in the episode description. Also, if you want to share your own breakup story, I will accept those as well. Any and all breakup stories are welcome. And hey, if there's a part of this interview that you want to jump to, again, timestamps are always in the episode description. So this is going to be a little bit of a different episode. Normally, I get a submission from somebody who wants me to look into somebody's breakup. I DM them. We get the story. Y'all are entertained. You get how it is. But I was scrolling through TikTok a couple weeks ago, and I saw this TikTok from a girl who was doing like one of those trends and revealed that her ex-husband, she on her with a 19 year old girl. And I was like, oh, there's got to be a good story here. And then I found out that she wrote an entire book on her healing process. And so I was like, okay, I need to do some market research for my podcast. I am in the business of breakups. So I picked up the book. It's called Eat, Pray, FML. And I was hooked from the start. Gabrielle has such a strong voice and her story was heartbreaking and funny and had so many great lessons in it that I was like, I really want to share it with my listeners. I feel like this is the kind of thing they would really enjoy, especially sense the first like two chapters of the book go through the breakup. There's like only so much you can include about your marriage that ended really tragically in like what 20 pages. I slid into her DMs. I emailed her and I was like Gabrielle please come on. Please share your story with my listeners and she was like uh yeah so that's what we did. I called her up and we broke down this week's breakup. Hello Gabrielle. Hi. So happy to have you on. I was so shook when I came across your TikTok and I saw that your husband cheated on you with a 19 year old and I thought there's got to be a story here. So I picked up your book and I of course read it and I I just feel like there's so much more we need to unpack. So I want to start from the beginning. Why don't we start with how you met your husband and then kind of go through like where things started to go wrong and how it ultimately fell apart. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because when I first wrote Eat, Pray, FML, I was like, I'm not even going to go into the details about like what happened with the affair. I'm just going to be like, look, I got cheated on. I got divorced. And then all this happened. Um, And my girlfriend was like, no, Gabrielle, that was like an episode of CSI. And so many women have been through that. Like you have to go back and detail it. So I actually went back towards the end of my writing journey and ended up writing the details of those chapters. But there was a lot that was left out. You know, like I don't really go into how we met all of the extra details that world I'm sure talk about here. So we actually met at a nightclub in, I don't know if people know Los Angeles cities at all, but it's in Agora Hills, which is weird in itself. Like that was the first red flag. Like, why am I at a nightclub in Agora Hills? Wait, so so I've never been to Los Angeles. So can you, for people who have never been, have no idea what Agora Hills is. Can you kind of paint that picture? Yeah. It's like a, like families live out there. It's, you know, Hollywood is where you go to nightclubs, maybe, you know, Studio City or West Hollywood, but like in more in the city, this is out where like it's suburbia. There's, you know, restaurants, but it's like, it's not where a club 
should be. So that was the first like weird element of how we met. So I'm at this club with a couple of my girlfriends and I keep connecting eyes with this guy who keeps going from the bar back to his table, like taking shots and stuff over. And I'm like, who is this guy, you know, at this club in Agora Hills? And eventually we get brought over to their table and we start chatting with some of the guys there and he like makes his way over to me and he's like, hey, don't think this is weird, but is your name Gabrielle? And of course I'm like, okay, weird. Um, Red flag number two. And I'm like, yes, it is. And he says, I actually know who you are. We took a night school class together a couple years ago. So this time I'm like 23 at this point. And this night school class he's referring to was my junior year of high school. I was going with my boyfriend at the time. So I would show up with like a messy bun and sweatpants, not trying to impress anyone. And apparently he was in the same night school class with his mom. It was a sign language class. So having this conversation, I'm like, okay, Okay, this is a little strange, but then he goes into, this is like kind of backstory, that boyfriend that I took the class with tragically passed away in a car accident when I was 18. He was like my high school sweetheart. And it was, you know, very public in our area as to what happened. It was in the news. So a lot of people had known that I went through that. And he says to me, you know, when your your boyfriend passed, I remember looking at your MySpace because it was back in MySpace days um, and seeing what you went through and what you posted about it. And I actually took a screen grab of what you wrote about him. Looking back on it, it's like red flag city. Like this is all weird. But at the time I'm like, oh, it's so sweet. Like he he knows all this about me and he's like empathetic and cares and like all of the things. So we end up talking for the rest of that night. I don't even think he asked for my number. He didn't. I was actually talking to him and one of his other friends and they ended up, they had the same name. So it became this joke with my friends, like, which one are you going to try and pursue? But by the time I got home from the club that night, I had a follow on Instagram, a request on Facebook and like, again, another red flag. Like it's too soon. It's to pump the brakes again. I was like, oh, it's so, it's so charming. The moment you feel like that girl, you're like, oh my gosh, he remembers me from high school. And now he's yeah. like, his way. and like, he totally wants me. And like, he's like being very forward. Like, okay, great. Then we, you know, start talking on like DMs and stuff. And I, I give him my number and he asked me to go to dinner with him. And so we start dating, you know, he would take me on dates, but then we would go back to that same club that I guess he was a promoter at again, red flag. And so we would go and like have these club nights and we just like, we hit it off. We were a couple very shortly after that. He met me when I was an actress. Like that was my dream. That's the career I was pursuing. Like I was a working actress. That was my only job. That was it. I have never and will never say that dating an actor is easy. It's not. It's never a fun time when you're like, oh, my partner is going to go off and they have a kissing scene to do in this, or they have to like, you know, be intimate with this person. It's never easy, but but that's what he signed up for when he met me. He had had a problem with my career from the beginning. And it was kind of right when I was starting to book bigger things going from these like tiny independent films. It was like a jump up from that. And I was really excited to be finally like booking these bigger roles and having these amazing experiences. But on the flip side of that, he was making me absolutely miserable anytime I went to set. It was, well, who's going to be there? Who are you going out with? What do you mean you're going out 
to dinner with everybody, like how many men are there? And, you know, if I had a kissing scene, I forget it. It was like hell to pay. So I knew this was a problem. Like I, I wasn't blind to this. I recognized this and was like, this is not, this is an issue. But what I did do was convince myself like, oh, we'll go to therapy and we'll fix it and we'll work through it and it'll be okay. And, you know, he would be, whenever we would get in a fight about the topic, he would always end up apologizing. So anytime that we would get into these fights, he would apologize and there were like crocodile tears and it was like, I'll go to therapy. We'll figure it out. We'll work through it. With the saris came, let me take you to dinner. Let me take you on a shopping spree. Let's book a weekend away, which was, you know, very enticing as a young woman to be like, oh, like, yes, this is like glamorous and wonderful. And obviously very fucking toxic to be like, let me like make up for what I did with some form of financial apology. For example, like there was the first film with him that I booked that was like a bigger budget and a bigger deal for me as an actress. I was playing the main character's love interest. We had a kissing scene, but it wasn't like rolling around steamy naked kissing scene, which by the way, for like my non-actor people, it's the most awkward thing to have to film any type of intimate scene on set. Like the director's like, can you turn your shoulder and lift your cheek up a little bit. Like it's not glamorous. There's like lights hitting you. You're sweating. There's crew people staring at you. Freaking horrible. But I digress. Um, so I go to film this movie. The The main character is, while I love him dearly, not threatening. Like it, he is the most unthreatening person you could be acting opposite against. Feminine, androgynous, very not like it wasn't like I was going to have to make out with Channing Tatum. So I'm on set and I only was there for a week and it was the best and worst week of my career because I was having so much fun and in my element and being treated like this, like bigger person on this set. And it was so amazing to get to dive into this role. And at the same time, every night I was coming home and getting on the phone with my then fiance for two plus hours crying and like yelling and screaming at each other because he was so uncomfortable and so fixated on the fact that like I had to do this one scene for like an hour, one day of this week that I was there. And, you know, people on film sets hang out and it was like, don't go over and go to dinner with everybody. Don't go hang out if they're all, you know, hanging and talking in their room. It was very like rule oriented. My ex proposed to me eight months after we had started dating, which again, like maybe a little bit of a red flag, Gabrielle, like hindsight is 2020 guys. I recognized that and was like, we're going to have a longer engagement. So we were engaged for two years, slowly started to plan the wedding. Apart from the issue with my career, that was the only blatantly obvious issue as you want to call it. The other issues started kind of after we got married, but we had this beautiful wedding that my mom worked her ass off to, to pay for and give me, I'm an only child. And she really wanted to like go big or go home on the wedding. Then we went and took a beautiful honeymoon together, came back, rented this house that was like a cute little three bedroom, two bath house. And it was like pretty, pretty great. It's everything seemed pretty on track for like this happy little life. And then things took a turn. I would say that some of the other red flags that I don't necessarily write about in the book that I now look back on were things kind of about my appearance that started to creep in. So it would be like, oh, I like, I wonder how you would look if you dyed your hair a little blonder, like how you had it in high school. And I would be like, that's not really great for my career because I don't want to look like Barbie next door. I want to look like girl next door. So like it, it was things that like I knew weren't something that I wanted to do. I remember one time he even 
even like really, it was never in your face. Like you should get a boob job, but it would be like, have you ever thought about like how you would look if you got a boob job? Like, is that something you'd ever want to do? And I would look at him and be like, do you know how long it took me to get comfortable with my little titties and how much I love them now? Like I am a proud president of the itty bitty titty committee. Thank you very much. I love not having to wear a bra. I don't have to like worry about running and jogging and like stuff being all over the place. Like it's fantastic. Thank you. Goodbye. Absolutely (laughs) not. And it was stuff like that that started to come up. And then once we got married, I remember a conversation where he said, you know, we were talking about bills and finances and he was like, if you want to continue acting um, and working, like that's great, but you're going to be responsible for half of the rent and your portion of the bills. And I was like, okay, like that's what I've been paying this entire, the entire time we've been engaged for two years. He's like, but if you want to not and like just be, you know, stay at home housewife and like go to lunch and, you know, like have fun, I'll take care of everything. And it was such a what? (laughs) So like you want me to give up pursuing my dreams in order to not financially contribute? Like it was very weird how he started. And again, hindsight, like I didn't think this in, I knew that it was off in the moment, but I didn't realize that that was the beginning of him trying to be like in control financially so that eventually, even if I wanted to leave, I was stuck, which I think happens to a lot of women. And it's really scary when it does, because a lot of people find themselves in emotional or physical abusive relationships and can't feel like they can't leave because all of their finances are controlled by their husband. And that's terrifying. I I can't even imagine being in a position where you have to rely on somebody completely. And it almost seems like he was trying to cut you off so that he could have full control of you. Yeah. And then that's looking back on that. That's terrifying. So it was stuff like that that started to come up that would just like was off about a year into the marriage. It just started to feel like we weren't happy. We were arguing more often than not when we would argue, you know, I'm kind of one of two ways. I either when I'm like in attack mode, I'll either yell louder to combat who I'm in a fight with or I'll cry because like the emotion has to get out one way or another. And normally I don't want to be a psychotic So I will cry because that's the release. And it got so bad that there were times where he would look at me and be like, I don't even know why you're crying. Like, are are you just acting? I don't even believe you. You like, it doesn't make me feel anything when I see you crying. It's annoying. This like stuck with me for a long time. Like relationships I had after my, my marriage ended, I would feel like frozen when I would feel tears come up and people would be like, what's going on? And why did you stop talking? And I'm like, I'm trying to not cry. So that trauma stuck with me for quite some time. Um, and it took me a while to kind of like, like, no, it's, it's okay to cry. It's okay to release your feelings. And like, you shouldn't be crying three times a week in a relationship. That's a, that's a kind of sign for like, not going too well, Gabrielle. We were in therapy trying to like figure out, correction, I was trying to figure out (laughs) what was going on and why we were suddenly so unhappy. And it came out that eventually I discovered he had been having an affair for six months with a 19 year old. An affair doesn't really cover it. Like it was a full on relationship. Sometimes, you know, on my TikTok videos, people will be like, well, why are you bringing up the fact that she's 19? That's a legal adult. Yeah, of course. You know, you're an adult when you're 18. 19 also has still in the word for a reason. Look, I, it's not about the age gap for me. My boyfriend now has a bigger age gap than they had, but it's the age of 19. You're not, I mean, there's brain science behind it. Go f- 
Google it. Like you're not fully developed by that time to be in a mature sexual, emotional relationship with someone that's older. It's just creepy. There's a huge difference between someone who's 25 dating someone who's 30 or 30. Yes. You have a certain amount of life experience. Whereas 19, you were in high school. You were taking algebra like three years ago. It's a huge, yeah. huge difference. The one question I had is how did he find this girl? I don't think you, did you address this in the book? I didn't. And look, this is all, I have to preface this with, this is all hearsay. Everything that's in Eat, Pray, FML is like, I only included things that I was absolutely certain about. There are things that like I had proof ish, like would it hold up in court? Maybe not, but like proof. And I knew for a fact that this was happening, but I didn't include it because I was so careful about anybody coming after me and like wanting to make sure that anything I wrote about was factual. And like, as it went down, which is why he's never been able to like take me to court around it. This is from what I have heard from different people that know them and knew her and, you know, were around the situation. As far as I know, they met at the gym. He ended up, you know, like following her on social media and then slid into her DMs. And this was like probably seven or eight months before I found out about everything. So it had been going on for a while. And, you know, I talk about in the book exactly how I found out, but the receipts that were there, I think the most jarring part of it at the time was figuring out the dates and like how they correlated with what I was doing. So I was like, oh, while he was like banging her at the Four Seasons a mile down from our house, that we used to go to on special occasions. I was winning my best actress award for this film that I worked so hard on that he told me he couldn't be at because of a work commitment or that time that he took her to the this nice restaurant and then the Beverly Hills Hotel, which was like a replica date that we had gone on. I was with my mom, you know, at a play supporting one of our friends. Like it was just like the depth of the deception of it was jarring. At the time, I was like, okay, this is the, this is the person like he's been in a relationship with for seven months. Since the book came out and it's like been as successful as it has been, I have found out about so many other people <laughs> that were involved. I've had an individual reach out to me that was going through a recovery program. And part of that is uh, amends and apologizing for things. So I ended up getting on the phone with them and they told me about some inappropriate relationships that they were having with my ex-husband. I have gotten random DMs from women being like, I had no idea, but towards this time frame, like we had inappropriate text exchanges and it, it was so deep. And I'm sure that poor 19 year old had no idea that he was a married and B having so many other options circulating through his phone at the time. But yeah, it was really deep. Again, like going back to her age, like you get this attention from like this older successful man who's throwing money at you. I love what you said in the book. You said something like he was basically buying people's love, like with what they could offer, like with apologies and fancy trips. And what I thought was the most disturbing about this relationship with a 19 year old is that almost because he was replicating dates that he had already been on with you, it was almost like he was trying to recreate the experience of when he was falling in love with you or I'm assuming falling in love. I'm not sure if we right. Who knows? That's so accurate. And the reason why I write about the, the specific like replica dates, I mean, it was to a T shopping spree at this makeup store that we that he had taken me to or a dinner at this fancy restaurant and then staying at this specific hotel after it. Like it was textbook what we had done and, you know, couples massages at the Four Seasons. It, it was like, he was like, let's just run it back. Let's just run it back. It worked with the first one. I'm sure it'll work with her. And as a 19 year old girl, you're sitting there going, oh my God, this is so lavish. This is so wonderful. Like I can't even imagine the lies that he told her. It's, it's scary really to think about.
about. So was she the first person that he started having an affair with? Or were those people that came out after the book was released? Were those even earlier than this 19 year old? That's a good question. It's funny because when people started reaching out to me, even like the moment I handed him divorce papers and drove away, I knew what a bullet I was dodging. I was like, this is my fucking chance to have a new beginning and get out of this because I was unhappy. I would have stayed in that so much longer being like, oh, I took vows. I made a commitment. So I would have been stuck in that for so much longer if I didn't have a really big reason to leave. And he gave that to me and I was super freaking thankful. So I was so disconnected from that and the relationship going on my healing journey after that. I discovered I was never really truly in love with him. I married him because he was safe. So it really was a big, big blessing in my life. But because of that, I didn't really like, yeah, it was like tea, I guess you would call it when women reached out and was like, oh, by the way, or oh, can we talk about? But at that point it was, I would laugh. So I do, I wouldn't even really track the dates or care enough to kind of like figure out when that was happening. The one I obviously remember a little more about was the girl I got on the phone with to in the recovery for the apology. That was during the time that he was with the other girl. I do know that. But how did you start to discover that there was infidelity happening with these women? So the first little bit, and again, like this all is covered in the book, but the first little bit, we were very open with each other on social media. Like I would pick up his phone and scroll through his Instagram when it, when it was on the bed and he would do the same with mine. Like it was just very open. I never had an inkling of like, Ooh, I need to go look through his phone. Like I, he just wasn't that guy, which is like so fucking ironic. Obviously I remember looking through or looking at something on his Snapchat. He had a message from this girl and I, I didn't recognize the name and I had asked, you know, who is this? And he played it off being like, very like, Oh, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a girl I went to college with. I, I'm not, I, I think, you know, very like dumb about it. And that was the first little thing that kind of made my gut be like, Hey, something's not right, Gabrielle. And it kind of just snowballed from there when I ended up finding like really everything. And I mean, everything that was back when I didn't know, you know, that California is a no fault state. So I was like, get every piece of evidence you possibly can. It was jarring. I mean, he had like secret subscriptions to Snapchat porn accounts. It it was deep. (laughs) The amount of stuff I thought he has, he had a second phone. It was just, it was wild. This is someone who I was married to and living in the same house with and didn't ever question the bad lies when he would be like, I'm going here. He was such, he was known as such a good dude that I didn't even think to be like, this is off. Mm -hmm. And I think so many women now are heightened awareness of that. You know, like they're like, okay, let me look at your phone or you're full of shit. But I had this like blind trust in him, not to a stupidity level. Like eventually there were things where I was like, that's not adding up. That's weird. As far as the initial stuff that now looking back, knowing everything, I'm like, oh, duh, like this makes so much sense. And like he was doing this. None of that ever was like super obvious in my face. Eating better is just one of the things that makes me feel better. And you know what also makes me feel better? Not having to clean up my kitchen when I just want to eat. This living alone thing is great until you realize you're responsible for all the cooking and cleaning around the apartment. And something that's been really helpful for me around mealtime is Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You've got over 35 different options to choose from each week, including calorie-smart, 
Protein Plus, and Keto. Each meal takes about two minutes to heat up, and there's so many yummy options like pancakes, smoothies, and more. Also, you know I love an afternoon snack, and there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is also super flexible, so if you want to pause and skip for a couple of weeks, you can totally do that. Head to factormeals.com slash breakup50 and use code breakup50 to get 50% off. That's code breakup50 at factormeals.com slash breakup50 to get 50% off. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This is what I've been talking about in therapy recently. Sometimes it just feels like there are just simply not enough hours in the day. And if you had one more hour to do something for you, what would you do? Your knee-jerk reaction, like me, would be to do something somewhat productive. You probably need therapy, also like me. I spend a lot of time shoving my emotions and feelings down because, honestly, I don't like feeling uncomfortable with all those negative emotions. And therapy has been a helpful tool for me to stop doing that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time at no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash B-U-B-D to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash B-U-B-D to get 10% off your first month. Betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash B-U-B-D. U-B-D. What I thought was so crazy is when you found that he had a second phone hiding in his sock drawer and you confronted him about it, he seemed like he was begging to stay with you. And that's what I don't understand. And I wonder if you ever got answers about that as to whether, as to why he was so keen on keeping your relationship, but also still entertaining this other 19 year old. You know, I don't know. And it's especially weird because that night that you're talking about when I found the second phone, which again, at the time I did not know was his second phone because they were identical. It was the night before he was going on this work trip. And that ended up being the work trip where he met up with her and had her in Miami with him and then took him, uh, took her to Ohio where he was going to go coach his other team where I knew all the parents that were going to be there. His father was there and she went and he was like walking her around being like, this is my cousin. So you have to think like, okay, you know, that's going to get back to me at some point, which it didn't. I mean, I found out everything before anyone even had the chance to be like, uh, I don't know where you were, but this blonde chick who looks nothing like his cousin was like here the whole time. But yeah, you're right. The night before he left, he was like, I love you. Let's not fight. Like holding on to me. Like I was the last piece of wood in the Titanic grasping. And I was like, this is so fucking weird. I think I know to answer your question. I did not ever care to ask or get those answers, but I'm, I think it was, he was just so fucking scared of blowing his life up. And you know, if I was going to come after him financially or the, the downfall of what that looked like, or maybe he didn't know until that trip that like he was ready to leave me for her. I don't know. It could, it could be a million things, but I do know that space when he left and having that time alone where I was like able to then put things together and find everything was so invaluable. <laughs> like he made it oddly easy for me to find. Um, and some people that read the book are like, there's no way he didn't want you to know because it was like, he just left his 
email open on his iMac. I'd, I still don't know his password till this day and didn't even go digging on my own. Like I, I happened to be in the office and his thing started dinging and dinging and dinging. So I like go over to look and it was the first piece of like, this isn't right. <laughs> and that was all it took for me to go digging in the trash. And then it was like, oh, here it all is. It's a f- gold mine. Great. <laughs> well, that's what I found so bizarre was you read that scene and you can just feel his desperation through your writing that he does not want to let you go. And then he goes on this trip and you start piecing together all the evidence. You get the divorce pe- papers. He comes back and you serve him. You give him the divorce papers. And then it felt like, I think the conversation where you read it and eat, pray, F my life, it almost seemed like he was just like, okay, it, it was such an interesting parallel between him clinging on to it. And when you first confronted it, and then like when you gave him the divorce papers, he just kind of seemed to walk away easily. Is that how it went down in real life? Yeah. I mean, that, that conversation I wrote exactly as it happened. There wasn't even anything left out in that. And it was very odd. I think that like he, he realized once he brought her to Ohio and like all of these people started seeing kind of what was going on. I think he realized that like, you've got to or get off the pot. Like it's time to like leave the marriage. And you know, what was interesting was the way that he approached it was like, I want nothing but the best for you. And, you know, I'm sorry, we couldn't make this work. I just think we were too young and I'm sitting there going, right. But like, you're not going to say I've been like stepping out on our marriage with like multiple people and having a full on relationship with a child. Okay, fine. And then it came down to him being like, you know, please, Gabrielle, whatever you do, like, don't come after my new sports deal. Cause he had just signed this like big coaching job. And I was like, all right, then say it. And he just was, say what, say it, say what, say it. What that I've been in another relationship. And that was literally all he said. I didn't say a thing. I didn't tell him how much I knew. I didn't tell him about all the evidence I had. I was just like, get me the out of here. And um, I got up and I left and I have never been more thankful for a pivotal moment in my life because it's that's the moment where I was given the freedom to go have this new beginning. And that new beginning was so much more than I ever could have thought it was going to be. And I can't even believe like that's only the first, what, 50 pages of the book. And then you go on this incredible journey of eat, pray, F my life. Will you talk or just kind of briefly tease like what the rest of that journey looks like? in terms of having to heal from that really traumatic experience? Yeah, um, I don't even know if it's 50 pages. It's like little, it's like three beginning chapters and it's like really the the on-ramp to like the whole journey in itself. So I left my, my house and was like, this. I'm going to be single for at least a year. Like I'm serial monogamous. And I was like, this is like, my life has blown up. The rug has been pulled out. I have fallen flat on my ass. Like I need to, we're going to chill. Of course, when you say that the universe is like, psych, we have other plans. I end up reconnecting with this guy who I had casually, and I say that like so purposely, casually dated twice before I met my ex-husband. We had gone out, we had danced, we had made out. That was the extent of it. There was nothing like it was the one person I had successfully been casual with. So he pops up on my freaking page on Instagram and I'm like, okay, I'll follow him. This hot Latin guy. I'm like, what could possibly go wrong, Gabrielle? And of course he slides right into my DMs like five minutes later. And he's like, oh my God, Gabrielle, where have you been? Well, funny story. I was married. And so he invites me to go dancing and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I want to go dance with this hot Latin man, maybe make out a little bit, get my 
fucking groove back. Fine. This was like two weeks after I had drove away from my house. Mind you, everybody's like two weeks. That's so fast. I had been in a very miserable situation for eight or nine months in therapy, not happy in my marriage. And I had known about the affair two weeks before I left my house. So this is really like a month after me being like, I'm getting divorced. Yes, it was still fast, but like just for context, I go, this guy and I fall madly in love with each other. Like it was, it's obnoxious. Zero to 100, meet my family. I'm going to have babies with this person. Like we're done and spend this like incredible time together. And two days in, he's like, I I don't know what to do. I have a Europe trip booked and for a month and like, I don't know what to do now. And I'm like, well, I would never tell you not to go travel, dude. And he's like, no, I want you to come with me, which of course like sounds insane. Like we just met. I know I'm like, we're feeling all these feelings, but like now you want me to go to Europe with you for a month? Like that's gnarly. And so I'm like, okay, when are you leaving? And he's like, September 4th. And which would have been my two-year wedding anniversary. I'm like, all right, when are you coming back? And he goes October 4th, which is my late father's birthday. So at this point I'm like, okay, universe, I hear you. I'm going to Italy. Fine. Book the ticket. Everything's like magical for a month and a half. I'm like meeting his mom. We love each other. It's just like sunshine and rainbows. And then 48 hours before we're getting on the plane, he tells me he needs to go by himself and breaks up with me. And when I say I was devastated, this man broke my heart like my ex-husband never could have done. And I was sitting on my bed in a pool of tears and was like, okay, Gabrielle, second time you've had the rug pulled out and you have fallen flat on your ass. You can either stay at home heartbroken or you can go travel Europe for a month by yourself. And staying at home heartbroken was not a option. So I took a backpack and I did six countries over the span of a month and I wrote each Pray FML. Ooh. What are some of the, the lessons and the things that readers can expect to get out of your journey of, of eat, pray and not in my life? <laughs> well, there is some of that. There is some Um, So that's something to expect. Uh, My mom was so funny when she first read like my initial first draft. She was like, Gabrielle, are you sure you don't want to take out one of the men you sleep with or like change your name or and I'm like, no, mom, this is real. I have to tell it like really raw and authentic. And that's what people are going to connect with. And you know what? I was right. So sorry, mom. But, you know, apart from that, like, yes, of course, like I partied and there were sleepless nights and there was like fun people that I met along the way. But I was also really, really hurting and heartbroken. So there was a lot of healing. There were days where I would sit in, you know, a cafe for six hours and just write because I wrote three fourths of the book on the trip by hand in my journal. So it wasn't like I was just journaling. I was like, okay, chapter one, here we go. Like I knew very clearly that I wanted to tell this story. And I think the biggest lesson I learned was how to deal with my fear of abandonment. I talk a lot about on my podcast, FML Talk, how we attract things into our lives that we need to heal. So for me, I, you know, lost my dad really tragically when I was six years old, I walked in and found him dead on the floor from a heart attack. And in that moment, I developed this belief of when I love someone, they die, or when I love someone, they leave. And this fear of abandonment, that was of course reinstilled in me when I lost my high school sweetheart. I had been carrying this with me forever. I attracted my ex-husband who abandoned me and our marriage in the most heinous way possible. And then I attracted this man after who quite literally abandoned me 48 hours before we were getting on this plane to go on this romantic getaway that he invited me on. So the universe was like, hello, Gabrielle, are we ready to heal this abandonment stuff yet? Or no, you good? You want to keep going? Or like, are we going to learn the lesson? So I almost, as heartbroken as I was, had to laugh because the universe was giving me a clear way to go face this 
head on and like be across the world alone and figure it out. So I think the biggest thing that I learned on that trip was that I'm never truly abandoned because I will never abandon myself. And that sounds so simple to say, but when you come from this long stemming trauma of always being scared that someone's going to die or someone's going to leave, and then you find this peace within yourself when you realize traveling solo, how capable you are, that you actually really enjoy being alone. You're never really going to fully be abandoned and you can make it through anyone abandoning you because you are never going to abandon yourself. There was such a peace in that for me to come to that realization and have that knowing with inside myself. It's incredible. Now I have to ask because I know a lot of women are going to be listening to this and thinking traveling alone as a woman. I don't know if I could do that. Can you talk a little bit about like just the practicalities of like how you kind of got through six countries by yourself as a lady? Without dying. Without dying and et cetera, et cetera. And having a good time doing it. Yeah, I had a blast. Look, I get it. The first time that I like jumped on the plane, first of all, I didn't really have time to let the fear creep in because it was so like, are you going? Great. Here we go. You're boarding. But the only thing I knew about hostels on my way over there was that there is a movie about them and people get brutally murdered in that movie. So like, I wasn't cool. Great. Yeah, let's go. It was really scary and it was terrifying for me. And, you know, you hear all these stories about like taken and shit. I first and foremost, I will say I only ever felt unsafe in one country. That was Paris. And that was because I put myself in a stupid situation. Even then it was like, okay, this is sketchy and I need to remove myself. It wasn't like you're going to die. <laughs> um, I think that whenever you travel, it's like being in the country you live in. You have to be aware wherever you are and you have to be, you know, like, don't be walking around by yourself drunk at 2 a.m. Like, you know, stay in a group if you're going to go out at night. Be smart. There's more violence that happens in LA in my neighborhood than does in most of the countries that I, I visited. I would say, yeah, be be aware, but it's, I never had any problem. I've done two solo trips now. The second one is written about in the sequel to Eat, Pray, FML, and that was through Southeast Asia. Again, never once felt unsafe that whole time. You stay in hostels. They're so much fun. It's literally like adult summer camp. Everybody goes out at night. So you have a group to be with. Then you like, you can do tours during the day. You can be alone and go and adventure by yourself during the day. It's really an incredible and empowering thing to travel solo, especially as a woman, because you realize how capable you are. I got on a plane. I flew over here. I'm heartbroken. My life is in shambles. And now I'm going to go like travel and explore by myself. It's so empowering. You learn so much about yourself. You don't have that layer of bullshit over you that society, you know, tells you you need to put on when you meet people. It's just a whole different experience of being you. And I feel like you really get to meet yourself in so many different ways. Did you feel like you were a different version of yourself in, in each country? Did you feel like you got to kind of try on different parts of yourself and explore different facets? That's a fun question that I've never gotten, which is insane after the hundreds of interviews that I've done. So kudos to you. Um, <laughs> what a fun question. No, I didn't, but different countries brought different things out of me. When I was in Amsterdam, I didn't stay at a hostel. I stayed at an Airbnb that this like woman who, who lived there and hosted it knew someone that I knew back home. And it made me want to just sit and write. So I, I would go out and explore during the day and then I would sit at home and write. Of course, it's Amsterdam. So there were some nights, but like Barcelona was like freaking like get your dancing shoes on, get out, party. It, so different countries brought different things out of 
me. Rome was like very introspective. I like didn't party at all there. It was very kind of like in my feels and like sifting through writing and thoughts that I was having and really trying to like put some pieces together. So I think that I always showed up authentically as myself. Like every person that I met that was like, so why are you on this trip? It wasn't like, oh, I just wanted to like, you know, it was like, "Mm, well, my husband had an affair. (laughs) Like I, I was really just raw and honest with with everybody that I met. And I, I think that that's the beauty of solo travel is that you connect with people so quickly because of that. Like you don't have time to do the niceties that you would do on the first two dates. You know, you just dive right in and it allows you to create these really powerful connections really quickly. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. There's no conversation starter quite like uh, you're very messy divorced yes. <laughs> people from across different countries. Yeah. So, <laughs> if there was one piece of advice you could give for women or just anybody in general who wants to go travel abroad on their own, like what's one, one thing you would tell them to do or plan or maybe don't plan. Yeah, don't over plan. So the biggest gift for me on that first trip was having so little time before I left because I'm a huge planner. Like I love to plan. I My friends make fun of me because it's like we know what we're doing three weeks in advance on a Saturday. It's ridiculous. With solo travel, the beauty of it is to not have that structure. So I wouldn't book anything until I got to the country that I was in. So I was in London for like three days and was like, okay, Amsterdam's next. And then I wouldn't book where I was going to go next until I was in Amsterdam for a few days and knew where I wanted to, you know, head to. And so that's a big one. And especially, you know, you'll meet people that, for example, I met this group in Amsterdam and one of them was like, I'm going to be in Mykonos in a couple weeks. Do you want to come meet me there? Mykonos had never even been on my radar for that trip, you know, of where I was like thinking possibly where to go. And I ended up going to meet him in Mykonos and it was an amazing time. And I never would have been able to do that if I had like this whole itinerary booked and was locked into things. So I think don't over plan. It's wildly easy to travel throughout Europe and through Southeast Asia. So as scary as it might be to be like, this is the country I'm starting in. And this is the first place I'm staying. It's really easy to be like, I'm going to hop on a train to Paris, or I'm going to take a plane ride, an hour plane ride over here. Like it's cheap and it's easy to do. So I would say definitely leave yourself the room to, to do that and just be open to meeting people don't, you know, if you need to like get your feet wet first to start at an Airbnb, I get it. But like hostels are really incredible. Like that's how you meet people. And I still talk to many, many of the people that I've met on both of those solo trips. That's great advice. I was actually about to just like randomly plan a trip to London. And I was like, I don't know if I can go by myself. I've never stayed. Yes, you can. What is, what's the culture in a hostel? Like, like you're sharing room with these strangers. Tell me about that experience. Yeah. So it's different. There's different ones. First of all, hostel world is the best app. It's basically like Airbnb for hostels. You can go on and you'll see tons of reviews, pictures, um, like star ratings for different like aspects of it. It's It's got all the info you need. There's choices. So like you can go and stay in an all-female dorm or you can go and stay in a mixed dorm. Um, and it's like summer bunk beds. Some I've stayed in some that are like cushy, you know, kind of nice bed setups. Um, so it just depends on like what you end up finding and what you look for. Um, but then there's also hostels that have private rooms. So you can go and stay in a private room, but then still like be in the common 
common area and get to like know and meet people. I will say for people that are planning on doing this, just so they like go in with the knowledge of it. A lot of people at hostels are 18 to 25 and traveling from like Australia, New Zealand. Um, you get a lot of like Germans and um, it's amazing. But I, even I on my Eat, Pray, FML trip when I was 28 was like, I'm so old because <laughs> I, I felt like all these people, you know, I found less of that in Southeast Asia. There was more of a, an age, an age mix. And you can even find some on like, you'll read in the reviews, like if it's a party hostel, if it's like, there were some, like, it was more of an age mix at this hostel, but they, it really is an incredible experience. Um, and you get to connect and meet with so many people. So I highly recommend going the hostel route, at least for a couple cities that you're in. I might have to take the jump, but I was nervous. I was yeah. Yes. Oh, I can share a room with some randos. What if they steal my stuff? I'm very like, I'm much no, most, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, most of them have lockers and stuff. I've never had any problems in hostels. Obviously it does happen like that. You'll, you'll get that anywhere, but I've personally never had problems at all. Um, and you know, you can start with doing like an all female dorm. So it's like a little more comfortable, but it's, it's amazing. I, I highly recommend. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. So if, if you have any final words for the people, any last, uh, life lessons or details you want to add now would be the time to do that yeah I would just say you know if you're going through any you know it's not even heartbreak any type of heartbreak any type of bullshit that life throws at us and you're like I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel I can assure you that no matter how dark and shitty it may seem right now that light is there so put one foot in front of the other and keep going because that light at the end of the tunnel is magical and so worth it once you're there. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Breakup Breakdown. I know I say this every time, but I just always want to let you know that if you like this podcast, I wouldn't stop you from rating it five stars. Hey, if you read Eat, Pray, FML, or if you're planning on reading it now, I would love to hear what you thought about this book and just kind of like your overall thoughts on just the breakup in general. Me and Kennedy this week are actually going to do sort of like a book breakdown from the things that we really liked about it, some of the lessons that we took away. And I think we're also going to talk about The Bachelor this week because I am so invested we're going to have commentary on both of those things because that's what I feel like talking about this week. Don't forget if there's a breakup you want me to look into or if you want to come on and tell your own breakup story, that submission form is in the episode description. And surprise, I might even drop the mini episode a day early on Wednesday. Haven't decided yet, but if you're looking out for that content, it could be dropping on Wednesday. So I will see you maybe on Wednesday, maybe on Thursday. I don't know. Depends on my mood. <laughs>